0: And before we get into God's Word, and before we read our passage, um, I just wanted to say um, that we have an incredible senior pastor. So if this is your first time, know uh, that the senior pastor is not me, I'm just a student pastor, and a whole lot better, he's a whole lot more gifted than I am at speaking. So I promise you, come back next week where our senior pastor is going to be preaching, okay? Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, our pastor is an incredible leader. I promise you, I've met a ton of pastors and a ton of leaders and he is by far the best communicator, the best leader I've ever been around and met. I promise you, we are a blessed church because of Pastor Noe. I promise you that. God's hand is on him. Hey, so will you guys stand as we read God's word? We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. as We're continuing our series in Romans. Romans 6. We're starting in verse 15. If you didn't bring your Bible, we're also going to have the verse on the screen behind me. We're starting with verse 15. So Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin... Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to go verse by verse through this and we're going to dissect this. Sometimes it's not popular to go verse by verse through the Bible, but I'm telling you, it is a breath of fresh air to read God's word. So, verse 15, he says, "What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace?" Paul says, "By no means." <laughs> I've read. I was reading commentaries, and that's what most pastors do when they get ready to preach. They read commentaries. Um, other scholars who have put in tons and tons of hours into studying the Bible. One scholar said, when Paul asks a question like this in Galatians or Romans, what he's really trying to say is, don't be stupid. I know growing up, my grandparents told me that quite often. Don't be stupid, Jared. So, then he goes on in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So what this passage is saying, I want to look at two words specifically. I want to look at the word slave here. What is Paul talking about when he's talking about a slave? Um, Some of you are probably thinking slave is, uh, you kind of read into it what we know of uh, our history, our U.S. history of American slaves. And uh, Paul is not referring to anything like American slavery that we experienced years and years ago. What Paul's referring to is what's called an indentured servant, meaning it's a contracted servant, a contracted slave who who gives his life to being a slave to a master. You say, that sounds ridiculous. Well, there's actually benefits of it. What would happen is um, a free man would be actually, free men were actually more impoverished than slaves were at this time in this culture, in this society. Free men were more impoverished. They were going without food. They were going out, going off with a roof without—I'm sorry—a roof over their head, um, and they weren't getting paid. It was hard to find a job in this time, so what would happen is free men would go off and they'd be trying to find a job. And what they would do is the easiest thing to do is, hey, can I be your slave? And so they would be what is called an indentured servant. They'd sign a contract, like we know of, uh, where they'd commit their life to being a servant to this one master for a lifetime. For some of them, it was until the master passed away. Um, And for some of them, it was until they passed away. So the slave here is specifically speaking of uh, an indentured servant. See, what you don't know is one-third of the Roman population were actually this kind of a slave. And what's crazy, I read this fun fact, that at this point in history, uh, the Roman government had to say, uh, for these slaves to be wearing the same uniform. They all wore the same colored shirt. And so the Roman government had to come to the slaves and all the masters and say, you know what, we need to get rid of these uniforms. Because right now, our people are going to see that we're outnumbered by how many slaves there are. It just shows you what the workforce was like back then. So roughly 50% of the population, and even the Christians that Paul's writing this letter to, 50% of the Christians he's writing to are have been slaves or Um, are slaves currently. So just to give you some perspective on what's going on, and then this word obey here, um, this one right here, obey is speaking specifically of, uh, in the Greek, it's talking about this idea of when somebody is knocking on the door, somebody gets up out of their seat and they go answer it. So it's to submit to, to respond to it. And so at the knocking of the door, what most people do is they get up and they want to go look through the people and see who it is. And so you open the door. So in this text right here in verse 16, Paul is asking the question. And Paul is stating that whatever you are a slave to, or whoever you obey, you become a slave to it. So who do, you, do you open the door when sin is knocking? So if sin comes knocking on the door, are you cracking it? Are you unlocking the door? Are you letting the sin kind of get a way in? All he has to do is pop his hand through the door? This is what Paul is talking about here. Do you respond to sin? I think of what my dad used to tell me. Actually, not me. I was perfect um, when I was a kid. (laughs) He used to say this to my brother, and sometimes me. He would say, um, he would say, Jared, I gave you an inch and you took a mile. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. Jared, I'm going to let you stay out till midnight. My curfew was 11. I'm going to let you stay out till midnight. And uh, you showed up. You showed up at 12, but I just found out you were at somebody's house. You told me you were going to be at somebody's house and you told me you lie. Why did you lie to me? I gave you an inch and you took a mile. <laughs> oh, those days. So much fun. And then you're grounded. So, with sin, you give sin an inch, it's going to take a mile. Paul's trying to say that in this text here, this passage. You give sin an inch, you crack the, the door open just a tad bit, whether it be what you look at. Maybe it's something about with your marriage, and you're looking at something and you know you shouldn't be looking at Maybe you're going to the bar, you're hanging around the people you shouldn't be hanging around that are going to influence you the wrong way. You give an inch, sin's going to take a mile, and it's going to become your master. Paul's trying to say, when he asks this question, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? He's saying, don't don't let a little bit of sin in your life. I've heard it said that if you don't kill sin, sin's going to kill you. You give it an it, inch, it's going to take a mile in your life. So then Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God that you, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And 18 says, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of Righteousness. I think of my own, my own life here in this text. Um, I, have, I have some in-laws that are here, and my family's here, and uh, so I want to share this story, but I have to, um, to kind of beat around the bush a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love my family. So I'm going to say this. Uh, I, grew up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents actually went to a Catholic high school, um, but they're not practicing Catholic whatsoever. So, what ends up happening is I found a really, 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 did I say really enough? Uh, Hot girl, cute girl, I should say, in high school, in my sophomore year, and I decided I wanted to get to know her, and so I had a friend go get her number for me, because I don't have game, I know, everybody in here is feeling bad for me, he really doesn't have game. So, I had a friend go get... Uh, her number for me, I texted her, and so we started texting each other and sending really long messages. Some of you hate really long text messages, but I love them. Um, so what ended up happening is we got to know each other. Um, she started texting me long messages back. So I was like, there's some traction here. There's a possibility she could be the one. And I'm in high school. Long story short, she's now my wife. But six months later, after getting to know her, I went to church with her a ton, um, I thought her family. I thought her family at first were really weird. Just kidding, they were just Jesus freaks. And now look, I'm a Jesus freak, and I'm standing with a Bible in my hand. So look, yeah. yeah. So uh, one night, I, after going to church a ton of times with them, I, uh, you know, was sitting in my little or my wife Britt, her little sister's room. Her name's Brianna. I was sitting in her her bedroom with Britt, and we're over here talking, just having a casual conversation, and somehow we started talking about the Bible. Who just has random questions about the Bible, unless you go to a Christian family's home, right? So I'm hanging out, we're talking, and then she starts talking about Bible prophecy. She starts talking about how, uh, you know, Jesus is going to come back one day, and I'm thinking, okay, this is getting crazier. And then she started uh, talking about other Bible prophecy, and how Jesus was crucified one day, and um, how in the book of Isaiah, 500 years before crucifixion was ever a thing, started explicitly talking about uh, Jesus getting pierced. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. The Bible is actually predicting things and it's actually true. So once I realized that the Bible was relevant, it changed my life. I went home that night and I prayed to receive Jesus. So, it So to get back to the text here, these people... Paul's rejoicing in the fact that they started following the standard of teaching that Paul taught them when he was in Rome with them. For me, when I realized that the Bible was truth and my whole being was surrendered to it, my heart included, like the passage talks about, all I wanted to do was follow Jesus with my entire life. So I put all this sin aside. Still not perfect today, but I put all my sin aside and I started following Jesus with everything I had. I had friends in high school calling me a Jesus freak. Best friends that I had my entire life. Grew up with them from kindergarten to, you know, to high school. Call me Jesus freak and all this crazy stuff. Um, but I still loved them. <laughs> so I'm saying this to say, uh, some of us in here, we have a head knowledge of Scripture. And you have never let the truth of God penetrate your heart, like Paul's talking about here. You've never let the truth penetrate your heart. Some of you have grown up in church And maybe this is your first time back in church in years, or months, or weeks, whatever it is. First off, we're glad you're here, and you're welcome. Anytime. But also, I want you to know that there's a point in your life, and it's constant. God is going to be trying to reach and penetrate your heart. God is trying to penetrate your heart and to capture your heart with His love. So, And I'm also thinking of some of us who have been Christians for years. We know the truth. We have this head knowledge. Like where the Bible says to love people, to love your neighbors. When was the last time you loved your neighbor? Is that just me? Some of you have been Christians for 20 years, 25 years. And you have the head knowledge. And I'm right there with you. You have the head knowledge. You know what the Bible says. You've read it from the front cover all the way to the back cover several times for sure and you know what the Bible tells you to do don't be short-tempered don't, go, don't let the sun go down on your wrath but have you done that recently? what that shows is that in this moment your heart is not fully surrendered to the Lord so you have this head knowledge but your heart isn't following it so check your heart Ask God to, God's word to penetrate your heart, and he will do it, I promise. And begin to follow him obediently. As he says in this verse, he says uh, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. to the standard of teaching. And Paul's rejoicing in the fact that these believers in Rome gave their life to Jesus because when the gospel is preached, the proper response is always faith in Jesus. Always, nine times out of ten, just kidding, ten times out of ten, it's always faith in Jesus. And he will change your life. And he'll grab a hold of your heart. So in verse 19, we're going to continue going through this verse, this passage here. Verse 19, Paul goes on, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So meaning, he's, he's just using this analogy of slavery. To help us understand and grasp this truth, as he's trying to expound on it, and he continues: "For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." So, one of the reasons I wanted to come be back in student ministry. I'm, my wife and I would move to Riverside, California, to work for another ministry. And what I was doing is I was just meeting and talking with other pastors and getting to know them, and we were doing um, what's called an evangelistic crusade where we'd fill out, fill out stadiums and pack out stadiums and preach the gospel, and we'd see uh, lives changed by the power of the gospel, and it was incredible, incredible two years of my life. Uh, but what I started to see as I left student ministry, there was a void in my heart. I missed something, and I was trying to figure out what it was. And I found out when I read this statistic about the suicide rates in young people. I'm going to get very real with you. When I heard that the suicide rates were only getting higher, I knew I wanted to be back in student ministry. Because like this verse says, that lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, I could relate with that. Because hanging out with the wrong people then leads to sometimes going to parties. And then going to parties leads to drinking. And drinking leads to smoking. And smoking leads to sexual immorality. And then the list keeps going on and you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into your sin. And it just keeps getting darker. And as you get darker, you start to get lonely. You start to see (laughs) your sin. And you start to see the emptiness, the void in your life. That there is a need for a Savior. I remember one night, before, a couple of years before I think I got saved, actually it was a couple months, I was a freshman in high school, and I remember laying in bed still to this day. I remember laying in my, my bed wondering, what is the meaning of life? And when I asked this question, I remember this, this feeling, and I know this is a church term, it's kind of churchy, but I really did feel this emptiness, this void in my life, and some of you can relate with that. You felt that void in your life. You felt this emptiness. As you look up above and you see the sky, you see the stars, you see the moon, you see how big and how vast the universe is. And you begin to feel really, really small. And if I was just an accident, why am I even living? Why am I even here? If I'm just an accident, what's the point of me being on this earth? This emptiness starts to set in. This void you're feeling is because you've kept going darker and deeper And the deeper you go, the darker it gets. I remember laying there one night. And I'm so glad God got a hold of my heart. See, lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. So as soon as you open the door, sin comes in. And as you get into it, lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. You think, oh, it's okay to look at this. I'm not doing anything. It's okay to look at this. No, lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. You say, maybe, like, it's okay. I don't need to ask for forgiveness for my wife. Or you don't need to ask your husband for, for forgiveness. Settle it. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Don't let the door of sin be opened up in your life because it will take a mile. I promise you that. So verse 20, we're going to continue. It says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? If you're like me, uh, you've, you've done some really embarrassing things in your life. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, before you came to know Jesus, you look at your life and you're like, wow, I really did some stupid things. I really messed up in my life. And you're ashamed of it. And I look at the things I've done and I, I'm so ashamed of it. Paul in this text is saying, there's shame. When you look back at your sin, there's always shame. And when you look back at your sin, it always leads to destruction. And this word death in this passage here is talking about. Um, this word "death" right here is talking about for the Christian it is destruction. This path, this disobedience, is leading to destruction in your life. I know I'm I'm, I'm really harping on this the sin and the path that it takes in our life that will take us on. I promise you, there's there's good news, okay? But it's going to continue taking you down this this deep and dark path. For your life, And so for somebody who's not a Christian, this word death means separation from God. It means separation from God for all eternity. And if I'm going to be a good pastor, and if I'm going to love you well, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to tell you the truth. That if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus, for all eternity you're going to be separated from God. You won't experience the joy of your salvation. You won't experience the joy of sitting in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. The Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Meaning the here and now, Jesus wants to give you life. Many people think that the Christian life, if I, uh, for a non-believer, they think, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, that means I'm going to have to start doing really boring things. Let me tell you, it is, life as a Christian is definitely not boring. Come and hang out in our student ministry. I promise you it won't be boring. Am I right, Casey? Yeah, okay, there you go. I promise you. Life as a Christian is not boring. Actually, Jesus is going to give you more life. And you're going to have more excitement. There's going to be more passion. So, Paul in this text, saying, with sin comes shame, and with shame comes death. Simple as that. Verse 22 continues. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So in, you know, in verse 21, he's talking about the fruit you get, just like a pomegranate tree. What you have is, I don't even know if that's the right tree, if it's called a pomegranate tree, but what you have is A seed, and you water it, and the sun helps it grow, and it begins to grow, and it starts to bear fruit. With that fruit, you start to see the result of from watering, and the sun, and all this stuff. So the result for your sin is shame, and is death. But now if you look at the other end, when you see obedience, and you respond to faith in the gospel, and faith in Jesus for your salvation, what you start to see is obedience, and you start to see righteousness, and you see eternal life. That's the picture Paul's trying to paint. So I'll say it again. you You respond in faith. That's the seed. And as you water it, and you get into God's Word, and you start to grow, you start to see righteousness, your life starts to reflect Jesus. And the fruit that you get is sanctification. And then also eternal life, where you get to spend eternity with Jesus. And a restored body and a renewed body. So I want, to, I want to answer this question for you. How do we combat being a slave to sin? As Christians, we are all prone to sin. We're, not, we're still not perfect. We're still not in our perfect state. We're still not in heaven, clearly. So how do we combat sin in our lives today, in our day-to-day lives, at work, with our families? How do we do this? And I think this text does it really... Does a really good job of giving us three answers. So, the first point I want to talk about is identity. Paul here mentions that we are slaves of God three times slaves of God, slaves to righteousness, slaves to obedience. He mentions that three times. And what he's trying to tell us, he's trying to show us that we are no longer ourselves, we are not our own property. We are not our own masters. In fact, Jesus is our master now. So you are a slave to God. So your new identity, before you are anything else, you are a slave to God. A slave to God. You're not your sin. Your sin does not define you. If you cheated, you are no—God does not see you as a cheater. He now sees you as a slave to God. See, now that you are a slave to God, you have freedom. You have freedom. What comes with being a slave to God is simply freedom. That's why we're up here dancing and singing and worshiping Jesus, because we have freedom in Jesus. So we can dance, we can sing, we can shout, because there's freedom in Jesus, and we can have joy. And we're going to have it in heaven for all eternity. So my second point is hope. Hope. In verse 22 here, Paul talks about sanctification and eternal life. And so I want to kind of share this story with you. Uh, Just a few months ago, my wife, uh, as we were living in California, we moved to a a new state, a new city, a new church, new friends, and we were without family. Family. And on top of that, we ended up having a new baby. And now our baby is about a year and three months today, actually. So what ended up happening is we're out there, we're feeling lonely, we're feeling somewhat depressed. We're wondering what is God going to do with our life as we're sitting here in a 600 square foot little apartment or a side house. Actually, it wasn't even a side house, it was a back house. And we had stuff stacked up against the walls. I'm just trying to, got, trying to paint a picture for you guys to see what was going on. And we're just in a back house with a brand new baby, trying to be brand new parents. Some of you are there right now. It's a little scary. Your baby starts to get a little sniffly nose, a little bit of a fever. You start to freak out. And as I was working, I was doing a lot of traveling at this time. I was traveling out to Texas and different things like that. And what ended up happening is... I started to realize my wife was getting very stressed out. She was starting to get very overwhelmed. And it happened and it progressed month by month by month. And it kept, kept going. Until one night, she ended up having this, what we now know as an anxiety attack. But in the moment, I'm out there doing my homework on the living room. GCU online student, by the way. So I'm out there doing my homework. It's super late at night and my wife pops her head up. And she yells, Jared! And I'm thinking, she, she had a panicked voice. I haven't heard this. So I left everything. I run, into the, I run into our bedroom. It was like two steps away. So there really wasn't any running. <laughs> so I run into the bedroom. And I'm not even kidding. I asked for, she told me she wanted me to share this because our mess is a message for Jesus. So she, she tells me, and she's sitting there. She goes, Jared, I can't see anything. It's all black. She's like, uh, she's freaking out. She's barely talking. She's telling me, call 911, call 911. I don't know what's going on. She's thinking she's going to have a heart attack or a stroke or something. I don't know what it was. She was just freaking out. She's like, take care of Journey, take care of Journey. She's freaking out and panicking. And what that does to a husband, (laughs) it wrecks you. She had a full-blown panic attack. We called 911, and they told us it ended up being a panic attack. But from that point forward, it was a crazy, crazy time. For the next month, month and a half, what we were doing is we were fighting fear. What it was, was my wife was enslaved to fear. She was fearful that if my wife, or that if Journey, our daughter, ends up getting sick, uh, what's going to happen to her if she does get sick? Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be able to make it? And she's home all alone alone. And she doesn't want to go out because she's afraid in the neighborhood we lived in, she couldn't go on walks all by herself. So there was just all this stuff compounding on top of her. And She began to get fearful. Some of you have been there. Some of you are fearful now. Some of you have anxiety, and some of you are constantly worrying about your future. And so for the next month and a half, as I mentioned, we struggled with this being enslaved in bondage to fear. And I remember one night, a month and a half later, incredible, uh, my wife woke up again. It was like 10 o'clock at night. She wakes up and she calls my name. This time wasn't as panicked. And I walk into the room and she's crying, <laughs> which is, again, another thing for a husband. You're like, what happened? She She's crying because God just gave her a glimpse of hope. Said, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Meaning that it's not, she, in this season she thought she was losing her mind. Because the enemy was whispering these things into her ear. So when, she, when God gave her this glimpse of hope, it changed everything for her. She was walking with strength. She started walking with passion and excitement because she knew it's all going to be over soon. Paul's referencing this when he's talking about sanctification and eternal life in this passage here. He's saying it's all going to be over soon. In this season you're in right now, some of you are in bondage. And I brought these chains up here. Some of you are in bondage to sin. Some of you are in bondage to fear. Some of you are in bondage to to worry and anxiety. Some of you are in bondage to sexual immorality. Some of you are in bondage to drinking. Some of you are in bondage to self-affirmation or what other people think about you. I've been there. I think we all can relate to what we're in bondage to. What are you in bondage to? Ask yourself. Answer it. And know that there's hope. That what you're in bondage to is not going to be forever. For some of you, today might be the day you find freedom. For some of you, it might be next week. You might find freedom next week. And some of you, it could be a month, two months, six months from now. But I want you to know that this struggle, this fight that you have with sin, there is hope, and that the power of Jesus in you can break any chain. You might think you're wrapped up in these chains, your legs, your arms, and you feel like you can't move. You're being controlled by your sin. Maybe you're being controlled by your emotions, where you get so frustrated, some of you have been there, I think all of us have been there, where you're getting so frustrated And you start saying things you didn't want to say. Or you didn't mean. That's like sin in your life. You're trapped. This sin has you. And as soon as something pops up, you click on it. You're in bondage. You're enslaved. But that's why Jesus rose from the dead. To break these chains. So that you may have freedom. in everlasting life. See, sanctification is like this. I'm a pretty boy. I played quarterback in high school. I'm a pretty boy. So what we'd do is we'd wear... Uh, what I'd do, and my wife does it sometimes too, is we'd put whitening strips over our teeth. Anybody done that in here? Yeah, no, no, you don't have to raise your hand. I know. You're like, I want everybody to know that my teeth have always been this white. And now that I drink a lot of coffee... Now that I have a baby, i got to be using these whitening strips. So look, um, so with whitening strips, you keep on putting them on, and then you take them off, and then they get wider. You put more on, and they get wider. You put more on, and they get wider, And so it progresses, and before you know it, you have perfectly clean white teeth, right? That's the goal anyways. Sancti- sanctification is the same exact thing. That each fight you have with sin... God's trying to bring some sin up so that you would recognize it and that these chains would be broken so that as you keep going in your journey with Jesus you're going to start looking more purified and more white like, this, like these teeth whitenings that I needed to use in high school. Sanctification is that exact same thing. And even this there is not only hope in sanctification because you might always be fighting this sin Some of you might spend your whole life trying to fight and defeat this sin in your life. Let me tell you, (laughs) there is hope in heaven. That you're not forever going to be in this body where you're always going to have to be constantly fighting sin. That's why I can't wait to get to heaven. Because there's going to be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, and no more sin. Amen, right? That's the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven says, you're going to be free for all eternity. That these chains are going to be no more. See, our hope is in the power of God. Our hope is not that we can defeat it, but our hope is in the power of God. The resurrection of Christ, that when he rose on the third day, he conquered sin and he conquered Satan. Meaning that it's not our power. And we're not able to defeat the sin by ourselves. But the power, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, is more than capable of defeating and breaking the chains of our sin. Amen? Amen. So, third thing, and I'm closing. Third point is purpose. So, how do we combat sin? We talked about identity, we talked about hope, and now is purpose. Paul here in this text mentioned being a member or using your members for righteousness. And this word members in actually 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul also is talking about uh, the body or the body of Christ where he says everybody's uniquely gifted. Everybody has their own talents and their own skills. Member right there in this text is the same member he's using in that word. So for your members, for your arms, your legs, what God's gifted you with, He wants you to use it for righteousness' sake. Let me give you an, ex- an example in my life. Before I went off to uh, to California with my wife, um, I used to do a lot of student. I used to do student ministry at a, at another church. And what I noticed is in my own life, as I was in student ministry, or actually out of student ministry in the ministry in Riverside, California, um, God had to show me. That I was trying to perform for people when I was speaking in front of them. I want you to know also right now, I'm not here to perform, I'm here to point you to Jesus. That's our pastor's role. And Pastor Noe does an incredible job of it. So the role, this this bondage that I had in trying to please people, and trying to perform for people, left me empty. And it made me feel like I was just trying to perform and and, and get glory for my name and exalt my name. And then in California, God had to show me, the reason you're communicating is to glorify my name alone. And not your name, not a church's name, not a ministry's name, just his name. So for your, your members, your body, your giftings, your skills, God wants to use it to glorify himself. God wants to use it to exalt his name. So what does that look like for you? Maybe you're a salesman. How can you pray for people that you work with? How can you pray for a customer? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. How can you pray for your kids? How can you pray for your neighbors? How can you pray for your community? How can you be actively involved, shining the light of Jesus where you are at right now? How can you exalt the name of Jesus? What does that look like in your life? See, if I could wrap this whole thing up in one sentence, in all three points. I want you to know that being a slave to God is an act of surrender, and the result is freedom. So, what I want us to do as I close, you guys can stand. I'm going to read one more Bible verse, and we're going to close. It's one of my favorite verses. It's Romans chapter 3. Or Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I'm sorry. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as Paul is talking about slavery here, he's talking about who is your master. He's saying, if you are a slave to sin, the result is death. Separation from God. And he says, the wages of that, what you deserve is death. Most of us have a job here, and we have an hourly wage, what we make. So if you're working for sin, your wage is death, is destruction. It's not what God has for your life. He says that Jesus right in this moment is looking at you. He's offering you a position and he's already looked at your resume and all he sees is sin. Sin, 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 sin. All over your resume. You think, why would he want to see all my mistakes on the resume and still offer me this position? Some of you don't think you're good enough to get to heaven. Some of you think that if you keep coming to church that that's going to get you to heaven. It's not going to do it. Based on this verse alone, your faith has to be in Jesus Christ for your salvation. There's no other way to have the hope of heaven. There's no other way to be a slave to God and have freedom in your life. There's no other way to have purpose but through Jesus. Jesus. So if you want freedom in your life, there's going to be an opportunity for you today to give your life to Christ, your everything. And I'm not just talking about your head knowledge, not just to know that Jesus walked 2,000 years ago, but we want you to give your whole life, your whole heart to Jesus. And there's some of you here, it's all in the head, but today's the day for your heart, to follow Jesus in this moment this morning.